0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Doing Time, where humans talk about their experiences in a psych ward. This week, we have guest Josie McGarva. Josie's one of my good friends from college, and she talks about living with Crohn's disease and having upwards of 15 surgeries for Crohn's. She then goes on to talk about how she's in graduate school for psychology and how she's worked on a pediatric psych unit. And this episode was really educational and informational, so please enjoy the podcast. Not well read, sit back, play some dick dick jokes on a podcast podcast instead (laughs) Different guests from near and far, bringing bright light to the dark They sit down, have a heart-to-heart, then joke about it, fart-to-fart So listen and enjoy it, funny fucked up stories
1: Committing mental crimes, do some time with Drew Lord
0: Josie, how are you? Hi, Drew. I'm good. Good. Excited to be here. Um, I know. Don't be nervous. It's just a not podcast. Um, that not a lot of people actually listen to on record. Uh, <laughs> there needs to be more. But um, we'll get it out there. So I've known Josie since college, maybe my sophomore year, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, and I. You know what's weird is, like, I knew... I met you, like, once, and we went to that one party together. And then after that, I knew Katie was friends with you. But I was like, oh, that was the one girl at the pajama party that we were at.
1: Oh, my God. That was the first night yeah. I met you. And all I could
0: remember about you is that you were a really good dancer for a white girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that really what you yeah. thought me? Yeah, oh, I was like, Joseph's a good dancer. Um, I do like to dance. Yeah.
0: Well, so I... I mean, the first question I always ask on the podcast is how much time have you done? And it's, like, psych ward, therapy... Uh, Like if somebody's had a manic episode And they're like I didn't sleep for two months Whatever it is Um, But I know your situation's a little different So you can go into that or whatever you consider time You know or like mental health wise So
1: I have my own experience With mental health and my journey with it Was is therapy based But I'm also in school for psychology And worked on a psych unit For a year A pediatric psych unit so that makes it even crazier (laughs) I don't know if you should say that Crazy is that the right? Term oh, I, to use? it's weird. I say crazy all I could get canceled for that probably, but yeah. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't like that word. No, I'm try. I try rather. not to. But yeah, so I have never been admitted to a psych ward, but I did work on it, so I have a lot of insight information from that. Right. Um, but then my own mental health journey. Um, I have Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed when I was 13, and with that comes a lot of mental health depression, right. anxiety. So I've had bouts of both of those things.
0: Yeah uh I knew obviously I knew you had Crohn's um and that's got to be I mean your experience is way different than most people's with Crohn's just because you've had so many surgeries and obviously you can like speak to that and stuff but I uh I remember you came out did you do a podcast once with somebody or you like my friend
1: and I did like a very informal video for it okay yeah no official podcast you were
0: great and I think you need to lean into that. You think Because you're like, I've never done a podcast. And I was like, yeah, but you're that thing was so good. It seems like, and I'll be completely honest, like you were leading the conversation and it's nothing against the other person, but some people just aren't um not like equipped to do a podcast, but they it's hard to hold a conversation when you don't know how to balance like listening, talking, asking questions. Yeah. And that's like the three most important parts of it. And listening is a huge part of it too. But I wanted to ask you like what we can get into the you working in a psych later, but I really want to talk about like your Crohn's and how that's affected you. So like from when you got diagnosed, when did it start to affect your mental health?
1: I mean, I think the entire time. I mean, I was 13. Eighth grade I was, is when I was diagnosed. So mm-hmm. growing up as an adolescent girl with this disease that you're trying to hide because it's super embarrassing. Like Right. The, most people, what they know about Crohn's disease is it makes you need to go to the bathroom a million times a day. Mm-hmm. Which was not the case for me, but, you know, that's what people know. They're not going to be like, oh, so how does it affect you? Right. So <laughs> I think I struggled with it a lot before I really knew that I truly had mental health stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but I'd say the first official, like, depressive episode I had, which is what I've found most attributable to mm-hmm. Crohn's, was um, soft, no, junior year of college. Yeah. So, I was abroad, studying abroad in Spain, and at this point, I'd already had nine surgeries for Crohn's, starting freshman year oh of college. my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, laughable, because it's just ridiculous.
0: Nine surgeries but, in one year?
1: Uh, two and a half. Two wow. and a half years. Yeah. Some of them were, like, one, I think the shortest period apart was 11 days between surgeries. <laughs> and the most was, like, six months at this point. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's crazy.
1: But definitely, like you said, like surgery is is not the normal course of treatment for Crohn's. I mean, it happens to a lot of people, but the way mine progressed was just like excessive. Um, Yeah. But anyways, I was studying abroad in Spain and got sick and had to come home like six weeks into it when I was supposed to be there for three months. um, Come home for another surgery. And... Everyone, like, you know, at DU, everyone's abroad junior year. So it wasn't like I was returning back to all my friends. They were all still gone experiencing their abroad. Um, And I was just home on my parents' couch for two and a half months. Yeah. Like, not going. I didn't go back to school. I probably could have. And Mm I maybe could have even gone back to Spain. But I was just so defeated that it was, like, not what I needed.
0: Yeah. Well, on top of that, like, leaving all your friends, you also don't feel well.
1: Exactly. that
0: like probably made it 10 times worse. Yeah. Um, And what what does your depression look like?
1: That time it was just like, I mean, I don't think it could be clinically diagnosed depression Mm -hmm. from like a DSM standpoint, but no motivation. Like even the things that I normally love doing aren't fun for me Mm -hmm. or even intriguing. Like I love to ski. I love to cook. I love to do yoga. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do any of that. Yeah. I, like, didn't even want to watch TV. It was... I just wanted to, like, lay there and... Yeah. Have no, no thoughts.
0: Yeah. And... Like, it, numb almost. That, yeah.
1: And that's how I was feeling, was really numb for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then I've gone, like, in and out of that as Crohn's has... That's what I really relate my depression to, is just times when Crohn's is, like, taking over and feels like I can't do the things that I want to be doing.
0: Right. And when you have... I mean... I don't know if this will seem obvious, but I just wanted to ask you like when you have a flare up with Crohn's, is that usually when your depression flares up?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I think And then
0: my only thing, the only thing that my like anxiety brain works is like if you aren't having an issue with Crohn's and it's more like subsided, mm-hmm. is that almost make you anxious cuz you know like it's going to happen again soon or how does that work for you?
1: Yep. Nailed it. Yeah. Um it's definitely a cycle of like being anxious that I'm gonna get sick when I'm feeling okay. Mm-hmm. And then when I start feeling sick again, um, I like then get anxious about, oh no, here comes all the mental health stuff mm-hmm. on top of already this physical health stuff right. that you have to deal with. right. And it's like when you get sick, especially because I've moved so much in the past few years, I' like every time I get sick, it's been a whole journey of finding a new doctor and mm-hmm. like figuring out insurance. Yeah. All the stuff that takes a lot of work that right. a depressed sick person doesn't want to have to deal with,
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and then what I mean, and I know obviously, yeah, you talked about a little bit about your depression and stuff like that, but in terms of the crohns and stuff like that, um I know you have like been super open about it. I want to ask you two questions one when did you start to become more open about it and like talk about it on Instagram and things like that and like Mm -hmm. like creating awareness for IBD and then um was there like a breaking point for you when like you decided to be open about it
1: yeah those kind of go hand in hand so like I said when I was first diagnosed in school I like didn't want to talk about it at all because I was so embarrassed yeah And my junior year of high school, in my English class, we had an assignment to write um, a personal narrative. Mm -hmm. And I decided to write mine about Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. because it was, like, the main thing that had happened to me thus far. Um, And my English teacher decided to let – or he offered to have people come up in front of the class and read their personal narratives if they wanted. And I was not going to. I was like, people do not need to know this about me. Yeah. Because at that point, it was like – The treatments I was on and just everything was a whole mess and I hadn't even like coped with it myself yet it was like three years after diagnosis and I was just finally figuring out the medication that worked for me right so I like I didn't even know how I felt about it and that writing that paper really helped start processing Mm -hmm. um But then other people had got up and uh, shared their papers and everyone was like being super vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And my teacher told me that my paper was really good, which who knows if it was, but he was like, you really should share this. It's really great. Like Mm -hmm. junior year English level. Great. I don't know what that means. (laughs) But I decided to share my paper. um, And afterward, like no one treated me differently, which I didn't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be like the girl that everyone pitied or thought differently of. Yeah. So I think that was the coolest part for me is that I got this huge weight off my chest, this huge secret of like why I was always absent from school or why I was only eighty five pounds at sixteen years old, you wow. know whatever it was yeah um, and everyone just saw me the same at least they treated me the same. who knows what was going on behind my back It's high school, yeah um, <laughs> and from that point on, I just started being more and more open about it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then I think in. College is when I made my Instagram account once I after I had had all of these surgeries and I started struggling more with mental health Mm -hmm. is when I decided to be more public outside of just like my close knit circle. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also realized how important awareness is like I think now with social media, of course, people know what Crohn's is more, but a lot of no one did. Like I said, everyone was like, oh, it's just a bathroom disease, but there's so much more to it than that. And the mental health part is huge, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's when I yeah my breakthrough.
0: What, what has um like is anything happened since then that has like surprised you? Like helping your own mental health has like creating awareness for other people or like people telling you that you've helped them, that kind of stuff. Like, how has that affected you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, my Instagram account has a lot of followers from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Like, I posted a poll on there once, and there was people from like Germany and. Asia, like, all over the place following me on there, which was insane to see at first. Yeah. But the comments that I've gotten on there about just other people, like, feeling the same way who also Mm -hmm. have IBD or people who don't and are, like, so interested and engaged in knowing what my life looks like is really great. Yeah. But also it's important to, like, point out that everyone's journey is so different Mm -hmm. and what I post looks completely different than the next person with Crohn's. Right.
0: Absolutely. So it's also
1: helped me, like I follow, the only accounts I follow on that account are other IBD ones. Mm -hmm. So it's super cool to like see other people's journeys and get advice from them too when things are going crazy that I'm Mm -hmm. like not used to.
0: Yeah. Uh, Wow. I So also like I know that you've, when did you first get um, the bag when you?
1: Yeah, so... (laughs) I had an ostomy bag for two. Do you and want to half explain years? that to people
0: who, like, don't know what that
1: is? Yeah. So, basically, <laughs> I normally use my hands to talk. This is what's different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, an ostomy, it can be on um, – they take your intestines. It can be your large or your small intestine. Mine mm-hmm. is in my small intestine. And they cut an opening in your stomach and, like, pull your intestines out to the exterior of your body. And then that's called a stoma, the, like, part of your intestines. Mm-hmm. And then you wear an ostomy bag over the stoma and it collects your poop. So for two and a half years, I never had a real shit and (laughs) (laughs) just pooped into a bag all the time. And it's like, I don't control it. Like, it's just filling up, like, as things would run through your intestines. And then you empty the bag when it gets full and go on with your day. What was that
0: experience like? Emptying the bag. (laughs) Just, like, the whole thing of, like, not... Because, I mean, because I don't have Crohn's. My brother has... Uh, I think he has UC or Crohn's, either okay. one. Uh, I don't know which one he has, but he, uh, like, like for me, because I had IBS for such a long time, like, I, my day revolved around, like, when I was going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. How does th- did that shift where you're, like, you're not going to the bathroom anymore? It
1: was really weird because, so yeah. <laughs> like, I never struggled with having to use the bathroom a lot as okay. part of my Crohn's when I got the bag. The reason I got that was to give the my large intestine a break from all the surgeries that I've been having. Um, so I had to use the bathroom a lot more. Like the bag made me tied down to it more, which is an opposite experience of a lot of people. Like a lot of people will be shitting like 20 times a day with Crohn's and then they get the ostomy and it goes down to like, you have to empty it five times a day, Okay. which for them, that doesn't seem like a lot. But for me, I was like, shit, like I always have to be by a bathroom. Right. Well, not even by a bathroom. The one nice thing about it was like pooping in nature. So easy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like peeing. You just squat, empty it, you're good to go. Right.
0: Wow. Which is really nice. So that messed – okay, so that – your schedule and stuff like that. And what was that like – because I can only imagine – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll ask you. Like, what was the number one emotion that was – because I feel like – was there, like, shame involved or, like, any type of – It was weirdly liberating um, because I was so – like before
1: my Crohn's was so unpredictable and I had no control over it, like when I needed surgery or when I would get sick. And once I had the, like, I was the one who decided now's the time to get the ostomy. It had been a conversation for a year probably. And I was, I had had enough of surgery after surgery and this was my best bet to stop having that. Mm -hmm. So I made the call, now's the time to get it, which was like a super cool thing. And it was my first chance where i really got to decide what my path with Crohn's was and even like my parents were the ones always making decisions before that because i was a kid yeah so and i like i fully made this decision so that was super cool and i was like weirdly more confident in myself with yeah. even with the shit bag attached to my body yeah. like physically more confident which was a yeah. really cool feeling
0: that's amazing
1: but they originally told me i was only gonna have the bag for a year so after a year and a half two years i was like pretty sick of it at that point
0: yeah for sure and how um when did you get it uh reversed just this past april so okay. recently And what was that like for you like mental health wise did that like change anything for you going back to like <laughs> it, Yeah, it was it honestly
1: weird feeling the first time i had to poop again so weird i like forgot what that was like and it takes so much energy like this takes up so much time out of my day yeah <laughs> before it was i would go pee and empty the bag and be out of there and now yeah it's it takes so much energy man
0: yeah no like it's, wiping it's like, oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy because well because the thing is, is like i don't think people realize too it's like when you're obviously you're not actually like shitting when you have the bag and stuff like that but like you have to still go to the bathroom and clean it right yeah so you okay still, yeah
1: you still empty it into the toilet and then you like wipe the end of it mm-hmm. wash it off whatever people yeah. have their different methods um, mm-hmm. but no it's not the same as an actual poop right now like now you feel that relief out after you uh, poop you yeah know? <laughs> like, you feel emptied before I never really felt that so that's a cool thing
0: when you first started did it feel like you did it feel like constipated dude at all? like you like kind
1: couldn't... of so after like I had the surgery to get my bag removed and when they, whenever they do surgery on your intestines they like kind of freeze up for a few days so you like don't go to the bathroom so and they don't discharge you from the hospital until you poop so I was just laying in the bed like waiting for poop to come plus I'm on narcotics which back you up so it was like so a whole much. thing mm-hmm. and it was probably my third day in the hospital after the reversal and I was just laying in my bed and my mom was there and I was like Mom, mom, something's happening, mom. And she's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Like, freaks out, anxious mom mode. And I'm like, help me out of bed. Like, I just had surgery on my stomach. I couldn't mm-hmm. get up. So she's, like, pulling me up. I was, like, sprinting across with my IV pole to get to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then it was, like, the tiniest little shit of my life. But it was such a weird feeling. Right.
0: And then when you're also on, because I've been on narcotics for surgeries, too. Like, I had ankle surgery and breast reduction surgery. And that, I was constipated for, like, 10 days. I remember one time. Yeah. yeah. And then when you do shit, it's like turds. Yes. And it's you're horrible. like, fuck,
1: I need so much more to come out. Yeah. what's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was um, strange.
0: You know, I did, I, um, the, cause I, I, this is random, but I did, wouldn't, do you want to talk about your tattoo? Cause I showed your tattoo to my doctor actually. Really? Uh huh. I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. I can t- <laughs> Thank you.
1: So I have a tattoo on my side, like on my ribs of, um digestive tract. Well, it's a stomach and then large intestine and small intestine mm-hmm. with flowers coming out of the top of the stomach. Um, and I got that two weeks after I got my ostomy put mm-hmm. on. Okay. And I had had it planned for a bit. Like, I always knew that I wanted a Crohn's-related tattoo. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know how I wanted to do it. Right. And, yeah, I got that. I don't, like, I feel like it could, sig- like, symbolize a lot of things like the flowers meaning growth coming out of all of this right. part of my body that's Absolutely. so fucked up. Mm-hmm. But also, I just think it's, like, pretty cool. Like, I have a few tattoos, but that's definitely the most artsy, like, planned out one.
0: For sure. And, and symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. you
1: showed your doctor. Thank you.
0: No, yeah. <laughs> my doctor was like, whoa, that's so cool.
1: <laughs> it was um. funny. When I went to get it, the tattoo artist, like, had this sketch all drawn up, like, of a completely anatomical, correct digestive tract with, like, lymph nodes and, like, the liver was on there. And it was, like, this whole thing. And I was with our friend Hebes. You know Hebes? Mm-hmm. And Maddie was with us, too. And I was like, um, I don't know. Like, I felt rude telling the guy that I, like, didn't like what he drew up. And Heebs was like, no, that's not what she wants. She's <laughs> she's not getting that. And I was like, thank God she said something, because I would have walked away with freaking lymph nodes on my side. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> and glands nice. and stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Okay. Because I want to, like get into more of like mental health stuff too and like what you're I know obviously like I mean you've probably learned about this in psychology where you're if you're depressed it's not just biology or just environment because there are so many people who go through a lot of things but they just don't have depression because they don't have the chemical like imbalance of serotonin in their brain do you think that you would still have anxiety or depression without your Crohn's? Or is it very directly related?
1: That's a good question. I feel like at this point in my life, it's always been tied to Crohn's related events, mostly. Yeah. But I also have a lot of mental health that runs in my family, mm-hmm. so I feel like it would probably come down the road, and like right. it's definitely more than just I'm sad right now. Like there is that chemical thing going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've had. My anxiety really stemmed around when I had my bag when I first got it on. Yeah. Because it was a huge adjustment. And Achoo. I would have, like, leaks where the bag wouldn't be, like, sticking to my stomach all the way. I would be in, like, biology class and freaking shit gets all over my body. Oh, <laughs> That happened twice, God. maybe. But still. So no, I was always anxious once that that was enough. going on. Yeah. And freaking sorority recruitment. I did that, like, three weeks after my surgery. Wow. And I was VP of recruitment. Uh-huh. So I had to go out and talk to everyone. This is, like, a part of my life that I don't like to endorse anymore but still part of (laughs) (laughs) it's part of the story
0: (laughs) that's definitely a shit bag but not delta gamma so yeah (laughs)
1: alpha alpha sorry sorry
0: i forgot yeah oh yeah okay i do remember that
1: so that was that's where the anxiety comes from but i mean broadly like mental health what i'm studying in school is health psychology Mm -hmm. so i'm looking at how mental health and physical health are like directly related and impact one another absolutely um and I don't know how science or psychology based you want me to get. But right now in my lab, we're looking at, well, my mentor mm-hmm. is um, really interested in post-traumatic stress and the development of that from IBD. Oh, wow. And it's like the rates are insane. There's like 20 to 30 percent of patients, probably even more. This was like we didn't hit everyone, obviously,
0: Yeah.
1: that have meet criteria to be diagnosed with PTSD based on experiences from ibd wow so i mean everyone goes through trauma outside of their disease but solely disease related things like hospital stays or experiences with surgery or treatment adherence all of that stuff can induce ptsd
0: and what's the ptsd like
1: just like normal clinical ptsd would look like like flashbacks okay hypervigilance over things Mm -hmm. um and I, like, I never knew that this was something that was being studied until yeah. I got into this lab. And I never, like, thought of it as something that could even exist. And I, now I'm like, fuck, I think I have that. Mm-hmm. From a lot of things.
0: Like, one of my first treatments... Have you ever gotten diagnosed with any, like, mental health disorders? Like PTSD or... No. But you think you could be?
1: Probably. I mean, I don't think I have the... I'd, I don't think I would be meet criteria for full PTSD, but, mm-hmm. like developing it
0: definitely especially
1: if my Crohn's journey continues how it has been
0: (laughs) yeah it could happen and what in what way like what is it specifically that's like triggering
1: definitely surgery yeah
0: like I remember one time
1: I don't know what number surgery it was I'm at 20 now so I couldn't tell you which one it was (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Yeah. yeah but I woke up after surgery and I was in so much pain like which you know you're not comfortable when you wake up after surgery. But mm-hmm. this was, like, I had done this before. And I, there mm-hmm. was, I should not have been in this much pain. And I had a different surgeon this time because my original one was out of town. So, and he was just, like, rude. No bedside manner, like, didn't care to hear about all my history, even though I, like, I know better than the frickin' doctors, I think, right. at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I could go in, put in my own IV, and, like, tell you what meds I need. Yeah. let But I woke up in excruciating pain and the nurse was like didn't really know what to do and the surgeon wasn't there to come talk to me and my parents like weren't back there yet and it was just a whole mess of things so I think after having that experience now every time when I'm going into surgery I'm like scared about how I'm gonna wake up
0: oh yeah
1: is this gonna happen again Mm -hmm. I've had times where I've woken up and been in complete tears like crying over who knows what but and it's just like I don't want that to happen it's very scary you know so the thought of every time I'm in the hospital I just think of oh shit yeah this could go bad
0: right absolutely. which
1: sucks when you're going into a hospital stay or trying to heal or surgery whatever it may be with a bad outlook already like the outcome is not going to be as good
0: right I right. think
1: it's that mind but I don't think it's a bad
0: outlook I think you're reacting to past experiences have you yeah. processed that do you, have, do you go to therapy
1: I do okay. I'm not actively in it right now because again I have been moving so much that it's like no, that, to find someone
0: <laughs> me with like insurance and stuff I think I start like next month because of insurance and new jobs so yeah what when did you start therapy
1: Um, when I came back from Spain Uh and was like first feeling really depressed is when I first looked into it Mm -hmm. and I went through my insurance and had some shitty therapist who had no idea what Crohn's even was. And I'm like, (laughs) this is what I need to talk about. Like, no, I, whatever. I don't know the question she was asking me. No, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm just tiny because my body can't digest nutrients.
0: Right. Right. Things like that. Oh, wow. So
1: it took some time to find the right fit. Um, Yeah. But, I, like, I always say when people are thinking about therapy, I'm, like, give it time. Like, finding a therapist is, like, dating. You have to, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you got to find the right match. Right.
0: Exactly. And
1: not everyone's going to be that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the like, most regularly I went to therapy was in, after I had graduated college. Mm-hmm. I was just, that's when I started working at the psych ward, too. And I yeah. got so anxious, like, from that job. Right. Was, which we can get into. Yeah. But I really just needed some, like, maintenance, you know? Yeah. Take care of my you brain. Can't,
0: you can't work in an environment like that and not and need therapy. Exactly. That's – then you need to go to psych ward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have – I, I mean,
1: literally thought I'd have to check myself in.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. –
1: Um, But – and also, that was, like, the first time I was doing really well, Crohn's-wise, like, the first time that my health <laughs> was stable. But yeah. that made me anxious, like we right. were saying before. I would, like – Gets It was it felt so weird to adjust to being healthy. Like, right. that was almost harder than accepting that I was sick.
0: Well, because when you're sick, it's comfortable, and you know what it's like. You yeah. Know, exa- but then when you're healthy, you're like, I don't know what this is like. So everything is uncertain, which breeds anxiety, because anxiety is all future-based. Right. Um, did When did you start working in the pediatric psych unit?
1: Right after graduation. It was my first real okay. job.
0: So what... I mean, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about, but, like, what was the biggest thing for you that kind of put you into therapy from that?
1: The anxiety from... So it's, like, the unit I worked on was meant to be, like, crisis stabilization, like, come in for a week, and then you're discharged. Yeah. But we had a few patients who were stuck there because their cases were so extreme, they couldn't find other placements, family couldn't support them, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And, of course, those patients are the ones that are the most difficult to work with. Right. And... You would work with them. I worked night shift. So three nights a week in a row, 12-hour shifts overnight. Wow. Um, but I would work with these same patients night after night, week after week, and it was like I would have dreams about them. I'd be at home trying to sleep, having these, <sighs> not even dreams, nightmares. Right. About what the patients could do. And also just like the it's heavy shit. That yeah. These, and their kids, mm-hmm. like a four-year-old kid comes in who says they're going to kill themselves that's yeah. you got to go to therapy <laughs> yeah
0: dude that's so rough um yeah. I was in a pediatric psych unit when I was 17 uh not working in one uh <laughs> <laughs> I tried I uh I I was like it's for suicide ideations um but I remember there was like a kid who came in and was like eight like I had to do therapy with like eight-year-olds but I was 17 because yeah. we were all because I was under 18 so I had to be placed there and That messed me up, and it actually helped me get better just because, like, at the state that I was in, I was like, oh, this kid has a whole, like, fucked up life ahead of them, and I'm, like, fine, so to speak. Um, And there was a kid who was eight years old and came in and said he tried to set his house on fire, and I was like, I gotta get out (laughs) of here. You're like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, this is way too much for me. Um, And um, it's, uh, do you want to talk about some of the things that you've seen?
1: Yeah, I can. I, like, I'm trying to not violate HIPAA. I was thinking about this before I came, like, how... But let's see. There were I mean, we saw everything from suicidal ideation, bipolar, schizophrenia. There and the was an, kids? Yeah. You can they weren't fully diagnosed with it yet because you can't diagnose until like you're onset? like 20 something because of insurance. They like won't diagnose you with schizophrenia as a kid because they know that no insurance will cover you if you have that.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Damn.
1: But so maybe it wasn't full schizophrenia but like hallucinations and Mania, aggression. Okay. Uh, those, I think the youngest, like, schizophrenic type person I saw was probably 15, 14 or 15.
0: Oh, wow. Most of it's drug-induced so... at that
1: age. Okay. But it's like, it'll last in a lot of them. Some of them, a week, they take the medications that they give you and then they're, like, clearing up. Mm-hmm. But others, it's
0: there to stay. Um, yeah. What... So, okay, so schizophrenia at, like, 14. And what kind yeah. of drugs? Like, hallucinogens?
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, half the time they won't tell you, so you don't really know. But I think, what's it called? It's, like, synthetic weed, but it's not even weed. Yeah. What's the name of that? There's, like, some street name. I don't know. I'm not cool enough to know I don't that. know it is. <laughs> But that's what most of, that's what a lot of the kids would take. Like, there was this one patient we had who was Spanish-speaking. She spoke English, too, but was, like, Spanish was her first language, okay. but she spoke in a British accent the entire time she was on the unit <laughs> and loved to watch Peppa Pig. She was 15, the 15-year-old 15 I'm talking about. Okay, it Like, the shit that girl did was insane. She was, like, said that she could see people's lives in their eyes, like, thinking that people were possessed. She, like, didn't <laughs> trust half of the staff, but she liked me, so, of course, I worked with her every night. Right. She would, like... <laughs> She had this teddy bear that she, like, took on. She would call it her son, first of all. But then, like, her next (laughs) mood that she would get into, she would, like, freaking masturbate on top of the teddy bear. Oh, Like, we would walk into her room, and she'd be doing that. And we'd be like, you can't. Like, put that away. And she's like, can I have some privacy in her British accent? And I'm like, don't you speak Spanish?
0: It was just. Well, what's that diagnosis then?
1: That was, like, a drug-induced one. But she was just in, like, full...
0: Synthetic weed?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know what it's called. But she was, like, in full... Uh, in a whole nother world. Wait. Like, nowhere near our planet.
0: Synthetic weed. Spice. Spice. That's it. Okay. That's
1: it. <laughs> Have you ever done Spice true? No,
0: I haven't. I've actually done other drugs but not not that one (laughs) that that is insane i don't like the feeling of like i don't i've done dabs and stuff i don't really it's fun for like 10 minutes and then you're like oh this is gonna last another like two hours yeah and it sucks yeah i don't really like it when
1: you're on drugs and you don't want to be on drugs that's the moment that sucks yeah
0: what uh was there any experiences that you had that like you really remember as far as like helping somebody
1: yeah definitely and like sadly, the people that I feel like we helped most had the most stable life outside of the hospital. Right. Like, majority of the patients we saw, it's the parents that need the counseling, not the kid. Mm-hmm. But the people that there were, they were like the teenage girls is who I felt like I could really bond with the like yeah. suicidal teenage girls yeah. who will actually listen to you and like want the help. Right. Um, but there was this one girl who was like. I don't know if she had a suicide attempt or just ideation. Hmm. Not just ideation, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she was so insecure, like every adolescent girl is. Um, and she was hanging out with this other girl who was, like, kind of bad news on the unit. You, it was. It's, like, funny to observe the clicks that happen. Yeah. And you see, like, the innocent ones come in who then get sucked into the ones who are, like, old pros kinda at like this. It's kind of like
0: jail. I mean, no, I was in one for a week when I was 17. And there's definitely, like... Groups, Yeah.
1: I've been in the psych
0: ward three times, and there's groups every single time I went there.
1: I'd be curious Um, to hear about your experience, too, because, like, that's always something I wanted to ask the patients, but you can't sit down and be like, so what's your review of our psych ward, you know?
0: I mean, like, as far as I can remember, like, I really liked – I did like my roommate, um, but as a – because I have such – my anxiety is not anxiety. It's, like – uh, inflamed version of that Where it's mostly OCD So it's like okay. Obsessive compulsiveness So I'm like hyper aware of my anxiety mm-hmm. I'm very self aware And so for me uh, Even though I like had suicidal ideations I'm so self aware that I knew When people would start to try to like Recruit me into their weird shit I was uh. like oh no you're, you're crazy Like yeah. I know I'm in a psych ward But you're fucking crazy You yeah. know Like there was this girl And she tried to like I don't know, like, just do weird shit to staff or, like, try to, like, just be trouble. And I was, like, I'm not really into that. Mm -hmm. And I know that I was, like, the girl who looked like that. But I was, like, I'm not going to do that Um, because I knew – I'm very – I think – and I don't know if you've seen patients like this, but, like, the things that I did once I was more stable were very tactical where, like – They saw how, like, unstable I was with my emotions, where I'd just be constantly crying or, like, just, like, upset. And uh, I remember they knew that I had a huge issue with my dad, and I didn't talk to him. And I still – I mean, we have our ups and downs and everything, but I don't really – never, like, consistently talked to him for a long time. And so since I was, like, 13. Um, And there was this one nurse who I, to this day, like, love – like, or wish him the best He was f- fucking amazing But I remember one time uh, Like, it was like my fifth day And I was like, I got get the fuck out of here like, <laughs> Nobody stays longer than five days You know what I mean? I was like, I gotta, like, yeah. really, really, like Get my shit together And um, I was like, I don't want to talk to my dad And they're like, he's like, you need to talk to your dad And I was like, maybe they want me to talk to my dad So that they'll discharge me Because uh-huh. then it just shows that I'm more stable So I get on the phone and I, like, play nice with him mm-hmm. And not, I mean, obviously, like, I'm not a fake per. I can't fake anything that's really hard for me like even Katie who's like both of our best friends uh (laughs) said to me the other day that this girl was intimidated by me because uh whenever she talks to me it seems like I don't react and I'm just like yeah yeah and Katie's like that's just true that's totally you well it's just like I don't I've been through so much that's like on New Year's my brother called me and was like threatening suicide and I was like okay I'll go deal with that you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying I don't Hi, how are you? That's not me. So it's like I knew in that situation, especially like being unstable, um, I had to like put on a face almost and talk to my dad. So right. I called him and then I was like, Everything's great, blah 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 blah. And then they like discharged me the next day. So you learned how to work the system. Yeah. Because yeah. I knew because but I also I do I knew how to work the system, but I also like felt that if that's what they wanted, then like clearly they're not great. Do you know what I'm saying? Like hospitals yeah. are never hundred percent with it, um, no. because they have insurance and that's like, if there was insurance didn't exist, I feel like, like the hospital system would be way, um, more of an empathetic place. But I since agree. it's not, it's just a lot of medication and then see you later. So yep. I, for me, like my experience with that being 17, it was hard. It was also like a lot of homework. Like I would do a lot of homework there, um, and then when therapists would check in with me, I would kind of like know. I wouldn't like know what to say, but I'd be honest. But I'd be like, no, no, no. If you're, I know if I say this, you're going to do this, and then if you, I don't say this, you're going to do that. Because my brother had been in the system for so long. Okay, like so you my had brother exposure. Yeah, my brother um, to this day will say that he is depressed so that he can go to psych units and get Xanax and like use and then go do heroin. So it's like mm. I knew a lot more than they thought I knew because of that situation. Um, But I also think that it's sad because I think you're a person who, like, genuinely wants to help people, and I don't think that people who work in psych wards are all like that.
1: It's definitely, like, half and half, I would say. I think the therapists that work in psych wards are – it's the insurance thing. They have to pump kids through and through. Like, there's only so many beds on a unit and so many kids in need. So, if someone says their suicidal ideation is a three instead of a seven, okay, see ya. Yeah. Have fun. Back at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's like three. You shouldn't have suicidal ideation. Like, mm-hmm. if you're letting someone go and they're saying a three, I want them to be a zero. Right. But, like, exactly. of course, kids will just say what they want to say to get out of there because it's yeah, well, of course. not a fun place to be.
0: Yeah. I had my mom come in when I was over, I was 19, I was in Denver, and it's like worst psych ward I've ever been in, dude. I Where was it, do you remember? People, <laughs> it's like around the corner from DU. Okay. It was at, um. it's like the only hospital people go to, I feel like. Is it like the CU hospital? I don't know if they have a psych ward, actually. It's like right by campus. Porter? Yeah. Okay. It was horrible. <laughs> it was so bad. Wait, now that you say that, yeah, it was horrible. There was like, I saw somebody get sedated. Um, multiple times. He kept, like, yelling at the woman that, like, no one should vote for Hillary Clinton. And then he, like, because this was, like, during the election. Yeah. And um and uh, something like that. Or, like, he knows her. or Something, like, crazy like that. And then he got sedated multiple times. And then there was a girl behind me one time. And I was, like, really trying to play it down to my athletic coach called me. and Or the trainer at the school. Um, uh-huh. And she was, like, how's it going? And I was, like, oh, it's fine. And then there was a girl in the background screaming that she was, like, Already called a gun store and gonna buy a gun and kill herself. She's like, it sounds great. And I was like, Yeah, it's it's awful. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like screaming. And and so for me, like that experience was probably the worst hospital experience I've ever had. And I was suicidal, but I was like, I literally I was like, This hospital is making me more suicidal. I need to get out of here. I will be okay. I won't kill myself, I'll go to therapy. Like, sign me up, I'll be fine. Right. But the hospital was so Horrible and watching them do horrible things to other people was like it was fucking me up even more. And I was like, I need to leave. Yeah. And then I had my mom sign like an override notice because I had to stay for 72 hours, but I was like, I cannot stay here for three days. Like, I was there for only two, I think. My mom came and.
1: So you did like the discharge? She flew in. Against I think. medical advice or whatever it is? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think she flew in because she was supposed to come in anyways for like a meet that she wanted to come see, which was like very coincidental. Um, but. Yeah, that was so horrible. And that was an
1: adult unit? Yeah. Yeah. I could not imagine working on an adult psych unit. Horrible. (laughs) I mean, also, I feel like being 24, I, like, don't think I could work with adults in any capacity right now in, like, a therapeutic way. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, like, I'm younger than you. I have nothing
0: to tell you. The experience level is very different. But,
1: like, picturing every kid that I treated as an adult with the same things going on oh, my God, I think I would be dead. I think someone would kill me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on the unit.
0: <laughs> Dude, yeah. My my third experience on the psych ward was, like, a lot better because I think I hit bottom when I attempted suicide, and then when I woke up, I was like, oh, I'm going to do anything I can to get out of here. Like, that was my rock bottom. And yeah. then I, I remember um, – it's just, like, a very – and I don't know if, like, you see this because – you, you are, like, the caregiver for this. But I felt just very stripped away of my sanity. Where it's like, okay, I'm already trying to take myself off this planet. And then mm-hmm. I go to this place where I'm, like, pumped with meds. And then I'm, like, weighed every day. And then I have to, like... I can't use conditioner because, like, I'll drink it because there's alcohol in it. And then, like, I can't... Like, I couldn't do anything but sleep. Yeah. And I felt disgusting. I couldn't wear a bra. Did you have like,
1: to wear the scrubs?
0: Like I didn't have to wear scrubs, which... You
1: got to wear your own clothes?
0: Yeah. That's nice. Very nice. But, like, I had to wear, like, a... I mean, I have a ton of hair, so I'm, like, when... when, I have, like, a, <laughs> And it sounds so petty, but it's, like, when I... You take advantage... Or for granted things that you, you know, have, and then once you go to the yeah. hospital, you're like, what the fuck, because I have, like, a very specific hair routine, and I had to wear my hair... Um, with a rubber band because they like wouldn't give me wouldn't any, give you a ponytail, like, a ponytail hair at holder. And mm-hmm. it was just so, I never felt clean. Mm-hmm. You can't shave. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it just, it was so, um, like, I felt like stripped away from humanity in a sense.
1: I felt like that's what we were doing to people in some ways, which for some patients, like, they needed that level of safety. and For sure. Everything removed in order to just focus on what their problem was. Mm -hmm. But there were like a patient comes in, gets checked in. And again, I'm working night shift. So I was admitting patients at like one in the morning who had been in the ER for hours on end or whatever. And they're kids, they're scared. They're like the ones who had never had anything like this happen before. Mm -hmm. And we took them into a little exam room. They have to put on a hospital gown, like, take off all their clothes, give us everything that they own, and we take it all and, like, put it away behind yeah. the nurse's station. They, we weigh them, take their height, blood pressure, vitals, all of that, ask them their suicidal ideation. Can right. you see or hear anything that other people can't see and hear? Like, mm-hmm. totally, and with no, like, therapy tied to it. It's not, like, like we would say, what's your suicide level? And someone says an eight, you move on to the next question. right. Because it's right. just paperwork getting them in you know and that felt very dehumanizing and then you have to do a skin check to see if they have cuts on them or Mm -hmm. bruises whatever it may be and then to ensure that they're not harming self-harming while they're there like Mm -hmm. knowing what they looked like when they showed up yeah so they're in a hospital gown you're examining them i'm sure this is what the same thing that happened to you and then you give them their scrubs take them to their room say here's your folder of paperwork that you have to get done here's your two markers that you get to use because you can't use a pen yeah (laughs) that was the most shocking thing to me when I first started the job is I didn't bring a pen with me for like my paperwork that I had to do and I asked for a pen and they're like oh we don't have pens here yeah and I'm like what you don't have a pen like it's a hospital Mm -hmm. and then they (laughs) were like well kids will take them and use them Uh, yeah just like the innovation the that these kids have.
0: The questionnaire, yeah. Oh, yeah. We weren't allowed to have uh, alarm clocks because somebody tried to swallow batteries one time at our hospital. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's like, it's just <laughs> That, it's, that, that it's doesn't surprise me. No, and it's like, but when you're at that level of, I don't want to be here, you will do anything, which is why there's so many things that you, you're not allowed to have. And and like for me, honestly, it wasn't even just the hospital part that was dehumanizing. It was the intake, like you were talking about, the questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Cause When they put me in Porter, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. But I started to, like, hyperventilate and have a panic attack. They thought I was, like, crazy. Like, they legit thought that I was, like, either schizophrenic or, like, bipolar and, like, having a manic episode. And I was like, I just don't want to be here because I've been here before and I know what it's like and I'm going to kill myself so I don't have to be in the hospital. Yeah. Like, I'm like, life's fine compared to what this is because I know what this is because I had already been in a psych ward once when I was 17 and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. So I... Started, like, hyperventilating and having a panic attack. And then they're just, like, if you don't calm down, like, we're going to, like, sedate you kind of thing. Yeah. And I was, like, I don't need to be sedated. Like, like (laughs) I'm fine. I don't want – I'm, like, I know what you're fucking up to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm smart. I I know how the system works. And they just, like, were relentless with me and asked me those questions. And then I was just, like, if I don't calm down, like, I actually will be sedated. And then I'll actually stay here for longer. So I had to, like, talk myself out of that. But it was so hard Mm -hmm. to – Because I was, like, yelling. I was like, I don't want to fucking be here. And I, like, called my mom, and then they, like, took my phone away. I mean, it was a nightmare. I honestly, like, haven't talked about that experience. It was really, really, it's really embarrassing. Because I felt like I was becoming more crazy than I actually was.
1: I think that that's what that place can do. Like, psych wards can really put people in that state Mm -hmm. of becoming more crazy. I'm sorry that that was your experience. It's like, no, that's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) Denver, good old dirty d yeah dirty d did me dirty
0: it was, that shit sucked dude oh my god i remember when they took my phone away i was like i will never be okay again like it was just so scary yeah, you don't
1: get anything and then at least at the unit i worked on it was like you had to earn back your clothes so you're in the scrubs <laughs> oh until you do whatever paperwork you whatever worksheets you have to do or yeah. meet whatever the therapist standards are like I didn't get to see as much of the day-to-day because I worked at night. Right. I worked some day shifts, but not regularly. So I'm like, I don't know what the conversation between a patient and the psychiatrists really looked like. Right. Which was kind of cool that at the shifts I was at, it was just us. I was a behavioral health specialist. So that was mm-hmm. my title. So it was just me, other BHSs and then nursing staff okay. and like an on-call doc if we needed it. But it was kind of cool because we got more, I think, bonding experience with mm-hmm. the kids and, I mean, you have to go to bed at, like, freaking 8.30 on this thing. But yeah. they're teenagers. So no one's going to sleep at 8.30. Right. So it was, like, you got the chance to go and sit in the rooms with the kids and, like, actually have conversations. I and that's so where nice. it started feeling like I was actually helping to some extent. But, I mean, I'm one person with – I had an undergrad in psych. Like, I knew nothing.
0: Well, but you have life experience. I feel like you can see yourself in most people if you're an empath. You know? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you're help, if you're trying to help somebody – Especially with what you do with Crohn's, you're able to be like, no, I genuinely want to help people, and like, I don't really need psychiatric like training to know what this is.
1: I agree to some extent, and that's yeah. why I feel like I was best with like the teenage depressed girls, right? Right. Because right.
0: I'm like, you've been there. I,
1: yeah, I know yeah, what you're feeling. Exactly. You feel like everyone's watching you all the time. Guess what? So does everyone else, and, and they're and not. No one cares. They're yeah. not paying attention to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if that helps or hurts, but like, no, no, that's no one's watching. They
0: you. need to hear that though. Yeah. And I needed to hear that.
1: And, and then that's then I what I told that. the one girl that I was telling you who I feel like I actually helped is she was super self conscious and I said, This is like the most cheesy advice to give, but I feel like it helps. I still yeah. do it. But like every time you say something bad about yourself or think something bad about yourself, tell yourself three positive things mm-hmm. in that same moment. And mm-hmm. I like told her that she was like, Can you write that down so I don't forget? So I like oh. wrote it down on a piece of printer paper and taped it up on our wall and pencil. And yeah. Or marker, not like marker, pencil. Like, pink Crayola marker or oh, whatever yeah. it was. But then, like, that girl wrote me a note and, like, left it for me when she was discharged because I didn't get to see her before she mm-hmm. went. And, like, a thank you note for helping. So that's, like, those were the moments oh. where I was like, this is actually cool.
0: And that's so special, too.
1: Yeah. But then there's the teenage boys or even the <laughs> <That> whatever. <sounds laughs> like a
0: nightmare.
1: Whatever gender they are. But right. the people who have these, like, life experiences where their parents don't give a shit about them or they're selling drugs to be able to buy their school yeah. lunch, you but know? the third
0: time I was in the hospital was with... Uh, I became friends with a guy who uh, was in the psych ward because he simply had nowhere to stay.
1: Like, he was that homeless.
0: happens, yeah. Yeah, and he was fine. He was, like, happy. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? He like, oh, I don't need to be here. Like, I just... I'm homeless. Better and, than like, the streets. Yeah, and his girlfriend would, like, come visit him and stuff. But, like, like, they found out, I think, after he got admitted that, like, he did have some psychiatric shit going um, on and, like, not, like, anything... That would be detrimental to his life, like schizophrenia, but or bipolar, but it was just like maybe generalized anxiety or depression or stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think for him, um, but it, but it's scary because it's like if you don't have anxiety issues and you go into a hospital, like you're gonna have trauma from seeing stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember too, like I don't know if you guys if they do this with kids, but like one time I said I had trouble sleeping and they gave me trazodone mm-hmm. without like telling me what it was they did and i had hallucinations because i was like because i have narcolepsy so i generally like have hallucinations but it was like on another level yeah where i started like i'm like i can't move i can't move, and i'd sleep paralysis and that was nuts yeah trazodone's horrible
1: i mean yeah they gave a lot of trazodone that's totally what it was just pumping meds giving yeah. meds to everyone yeah because like, they want you to shut up there was this six-year-old who they gave a shit ton of adderall to and then (laughs) because she she really could not pay attention to anything she was like running up and down the hallways before the Adderall then they gave her the Adderall and that didn't help anything she was just more hyper right and then she couldn't sleep at night she'd be up till three in the morning running in the halls and we're like do you like why do you think she's not sleeping right because she's on freaking 20 milligrams of Adderall and she's six
0: (laughs) it's like what I take so then they give her
1: some melatonin but then she, like, still can't sleep because the Adderall
0: is stronger well, than Well, mel- yeah. yeah. I'm, like, melatonin's, like, that's sugar at that point. Yeah. Like, that's nothing.
1: But then you're in, like, this weird melatonin-induced dream state while you're still awake running in the hallways. It was, like, this girl. Wow. Oh, my God. I, she has a horrible story background. Like, I feel so bad for her. Not, mm-hmm. that's a bad way to say it, but, like,
0: bad life. You don't feel pity. You just, you, it's your like, heart goes out to her. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Um,
1: but, oh, my God, she drove us crazy. A single night staff. <laughs> That's the good thing about night is it's normally
0: quiet except this girl <laughs> Wow so what we're gonna wrap up the pod but what what's like one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is struggling with crohns or has any like shame or embarrassment around mental health and crohns to come combine?
1: Yeah, I think let's see definitely know that you're not alone and like whatever you're feeling is valid and I think this goes in way beyond the branches of Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. um there's probably someone else out there going through similar things Mm -hmm. and someone who will understand even when it feels like no one will
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and yeah I mean don't be afraid to get help or if you don't want help at that time like push through
0: Mm -hmm. hell yeah dude well thank you so much for doing the podcast yeah thanks Um, for having me of course um where can people find you, um, plug your Instagram and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so my Crohn's account is at it underscore takes guts. So it takes guts. Is, mm-hmm. Personal um, Instagram? Nah, you guys don't need that.
0: <laughs> wow, <laughs> don't, don't slide into my DM? too good for the gram. <laughs> no, follow too my Crohn's gram, one. You'll Jersey. find my personal from there. All right, well, thanks again. And thank you so much for listening to Doing Time.